we are studying the first four chapters of the book of Joshua. This morning we began in chapter 1, and we began studying about the real thing, that it is not imitation that God has for you and for me as believers. God calls us to walk in victory. And God has made this available, it's accessible, it is there for every believer through the indwelling of the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, one believer does not have a greater measure of the Holy Spirit than another believer. Did y'all know that? That's exactly right. Everybody is saved the same way. And every person, at least one time, has been filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we are to continually to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and we do that through submission, less of me, more of Him. Now, in Joshua chapter 1, what we're going to talk about tonight in victory is now God has told them, this is what I have for you. Here it is. Go get it. Now, what we're going to look at tonight is, how do you do it? There has to be preparation. And so tonight, we're going to talk about getting ready to go. Now, getting out maps, when you're going to make a trip, you get ready to make a trip, you make preparation for it, don't you? You plan. I mean, you don't just, you know, you're not just going to get up one morning and say, hallelujah, let's go to Disney World. And y'all just all get in the car and take off. It doesn't work like that. If you're going to go to Disney World, let me give you a little piece of advice. If you're going to Disney World and you've got little children, don't tell them. Don't tell them until get them asleep, then take them, put them in the vehicle, and take off down the road. You get everything packed. Because if you tell them, you will not get one moment's peace until you leave. And once you leave... After you've been gone five minutes, are we there yet? How much farther is it? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You see, when you prepare to go somewhere, you are exercising faith. You're saying that I believe that this is going to take place. Now, I want you to listen to me. I want you to listen. I don't say many profound things, so I want to say something profound, okay? I want you to listen to me. You need to write this down. If you don't have a pen, write this down. Listen, faith, faith is not believing in spite of evidence, but it is obeying in spite of consequence. Did you hear that? Do y'all mind? I know I look like the hobbit. I'm so short, but do y'all mind if I get down here? Okay. Is that okay? I'm going to get down here amongst you, all right? Now, faith, faith is not believing in spite of the evidence, but it is obeying God in spite of the consequence. That what God says, I am going to do. Now, this is something that many people that say, I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but they're not walking in this. They've never had this happen in their life practically. You see, this book is the only book in the world that is alive. 
this book will jump off the page into your heart and it will become active in your life. It will change the way you live. Now listen to me. You believe you're going to go somewhere, there's preparation. I got a, I got a friend of mine, one of my best friends, he meant, he's mentored me uh, all of my evangelistic ministry. Uh, since I've been a pastor, he's preached for me every year, and, and he's, he's just my buddy. And, and y'all remember when the GPS has come out? Y'all, y'all remember that? Now, you don't have got your phone now. Your phone tell you anything. Did y'all know that? Yeah. Ask Siri. Ask Siri. She'll tell you. I'm, I'm, you know, the phone, you just got maps and all this stuff. But years ago, before you guys, y'all probably weren't even born, it was called a Garmin GPS. Y'all may not know what that is. But anyway, it's a little box, okay? And uh, it, it was had maps. It's pretty cool. I remember I had one of those when I was traveling. But a friend of mine said that his uh, kids gave him one for Christmas and said they were so excited, he opened it up and said, his grandson said, Papa, do you like it? He said, I like it, son. This is awesome. He said, Papa, he said, let me, let me help you get it set up. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, Papa, you got to go through the prompts. you got to go through all the settings and get everything set for you. He said, okay. He said, you help me. So he said, we started going through the prompts, and he said, okay, Papa, you speak English, so this is going to be in English. And, and then he went on, and anyway, then he got this. He said, Papa, this is so neat. He said, what do you mean? He said, Papa said, there's several different voices, several different voices on here that you can have that will tell you where to go. said, you've got male or female. said, Papa, what do you want? He said, son, you make it a male. I've had a woman tell me where to go all my life. <laughs> and he said they got that thing set up, and man, he took off down the road. And so preparation, getting out the maps, setting up your GPS, doing all those things as an act of faith. Now, let me say this to you. God is not a tyrant. Do you understand that? God is is a loving Heavenly Father. He is our shepherd. He is our king. Nowhere are you going to find in this book where God drives His people. God leads His people. As I said in the early first service, is that God leads us. The shepherd leads the sheep. He is the good shepherd. He cares for the sheep. And so God leads us. But let me say this to you. God will only give to you individually and God will only give to a church collectively what we are prepared to receive. You understand that? As I told you about the measure of the Holy Spirit, you know, the difference is that whether or not we have Him, of we're submissive to Him, and that the less there is of us, the more there is of Him. And so God guides us. He will only give to us what we are willing to receive. Now let's look at verse 10 and verse 11 of chapter 1. We're going to talk about getting ready to go. Look what it says. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying. So who's he speaking to? He's speaking to leadership. Leadership. And so listen, everything rises and falls upon leadership. Do you, do you understand that? You can't lead people where you're not going, and you can't lead people to do something if you're not willing to do it. Okay? How do we lead in the church? We lead through sacrificial service. 
we lead through service. Now look what it says. Pass through the host. Go, go through the people. And command the people, say, prepare you. Y'all see that word? Vittles. Do y'all know that word's in the Bible in the King James? Vittles. These were a bunch of southern Jews. Amen. Vittles. Vittles. Prepare food. For within three days you will pass over this Jordan. Look what he says. Why are you going to pass over it? He says to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. Jehovah, the Lord Jehovah Adonai. Jehovah Elohim, the God of absolute power, absolute faithfulness. Jehovah, the covenant God. Elohim, the creator God. The God of absolute power. What's he saying? God's saying, you do what I say and you're going to get across the river. Now that's what God tells us. And so he is telling me this. Now look at, look at chapter 3 and verse 5. Look what it says. Oh, this is good stuff now. Look what it says. And Joshua said unto the people, sanctify yourself. Sanctify yourself. Now notice that. He didn't say, I'm going to sanctify you. He said, it's your responsibility to sanctify yourself. Okay? We have a responsibility unto God to do what God says. You see, God saves us. He cleanses us. He justifies us. We are saved, seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus, according to what the book of Ephesians says. But daily sanctification is a work of grace through the Holy Spirit. But yet, we are involved in it. Okay? We're involved in it. I mean, little boys don't like to take baths. Did y'all know that? But, but you have to do that. They, I mean, Mom, you got to get that crust off of them. Amen? Yeah. And, and there has to be some scrubbing. So there's some things that we have responsibility to work on ourselves. So he said, you sanctify yourself. Look what it says. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So what's he saying here? What's he saying is this. He is saying... That when we believe that God is going to do something, then we're going to get ready for it. Okay? We're going to get ready for it. Now, let's look at the preparations that they had to do. They were required to do for the trip to Canaan. Okay? Same thing is true in our life as a Christian. All right. First thing. What is the first thing they had to do? Number one. They had to have a new diet. That's a bad word, isn't it? Amen. They had to have a new diet. What does that mean? What does it mean? Well, if you study, you're going to find out something. You're going to find out that God is telling them that the first requirement is to prepare provisions. Prepare provisions. For the entire nation of around 2 million people. Now, can you imagine, sir, what your wife would be like if you tell her, honey, we're going to have dinner on the ground tomorrow. And we got 2 million people coming. Uh, you won't be there, sir. 
I just want to tell you that. Amen? Amen. She's going to send you to glory. I mean, you think about this. I mean, do y'all, ladies, do y'all get nervous when you, when you have company? Do y'all, y'all get nervous? Hey, y'all can, call, y'all can talk to me. It's okay? All right? Let, let's, this is not a dialogue, okay? Okay, this is going, uh, not a monologue, monologue, but a dialogue. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna f- connect with each other. Now, now, you say, well, I really don't get nervous. I, I, you know, well, praise God. But I would say probably 90% of you will get a little nervous. Matter of fact, when somebody's coming to your house, I bet your, your husband and your kids have a fit because it's like you go crazy. Man, you got to cut the grass, you got to clean the house, you got to scrub the floor, you got to clean your room. I mean, it, it's like, you know, you, you, you got to have to clean behind your refrigerator. Yeah, why do y'all do that? It's like people are going to come in your house and walk, first thing I can do is walk and look and boy, you didn't clean behind your refrigerator, that sure is dirty. No. Now, what does God tell them? God says you got to prepare food. You've got to prepare food. Now, the Jordan River is at flood stage. It is spilling out of the banks. It is a dirty, muddy, silty river. It is raging. Now, when they get to the river, they see the promised land, but what's between them and the, between them and the promised land? A raging river. Now, logic says, logic says, What are we going to do? How are we going to cross that? Logic says we need to build a bridge. That's what man would say. Build a bridge. But God says, no, start baking bread. Isn't that just like God? Have you you ever prayed about something, you got it all figured out how it's going to happen, and God messes everything up? You know what I'm talking about? God does it. God takes care of it, but He takes care of it the way He wants to take care of it, and He shows you that. So logic would say this is what we need to do, but God says you bake bread. Now, why did God tell them this? Hey, guys, let me tell you something. This is pretty cool. Do you know what they'd been eating up until this point? Forty years. You know what they've been eating? Anybody? Manna. Manna. Do you know what manna means in the Hebrew? It means they picked it up. First time it came down, they went out and picked it up. They looked at it, and this is what came out of their mouth. Manna. That literally means in the Hebrew, what is it? I was down at First Baptist Chattahoochee, Florida, preaching the minister of music. said, my wife's been cooking that for years, preacher. <laughs> I think he's still alive. Forty years, forty years, they've been eating manna. God has cooked for them. God has provided for them every day. But God says here, you got to change your eating habits. You got to change your eating habits. Why? See, manna was a dry, coarse bread. It could sustain, but it could not satisfy. Do you understand that? It could sustain but not satisfy, it was not adequate for maintaining soldiers. It was good for maintaining life in the desert, but you're about to become combat soldiers. You're about to go into a war with the enemy. 
And so you know what you need to do? You need to start having some peas and cornbread. Amen? You need to have something that's going to stick to your ribs. you got to change your diet. Because if you're going to go in and conquer this land, then you have got to change your eating habits. And the problem today, ladies and gentlemen, is most Christians and many, many churches are on a desert diet. They're on a desert diet. I mean, they don't like it. Uh, feeding our, my wife's feeding our grandson, and he was eating some kind of orange-looking stuff. And I thought it was sweet potatoes. And he likes sweet potatoes. And she started giving that to him, and he'd just do his lips. He'd go. And yeah, he locked up. He didn't like it. And I thought, wonder what's happened to him. You know what? It was carrots. He liked carrots. You know how I know he doesn't like carrots? Because he wouldn't let us put them in his mouth. That's right. You see, what we understand here is that many of us, we cannot handle the meat of the Word. It does something to us. It changes the way we live. You understand that? And so God said, you've got to change what you're doing. You have to change your diet. But now the second thing is this. Not only do they have to have a new diet, God says, you got to wait. A new delay. A new delay. Now notice what God tells them. Three days, you're going to pass over. Now let me ask you something. How long had they been wandering in the wilderness? Forty years. Forty years years they come to the river they see the promised land that belongs to them and what does God say wait would you get upset now don't look at me spiritual you know we don't like to wait we don't like to wait we rush into church we run out you know all right God you Bless me, and then we leave. We're always, everybody's in a hurry. Do you know Jesus never got in a hurry, but he's never late? You know, I, I'm an observer of people, especially driving. You, you, you know what? You want to really see how saved you are. Get in a traffic jam. You know what I'm talking about? You, you ever get behind somebody that's going somewhere tomorrow? You know, and, uh, and, and you just, you know, you get behind that wheel and you become another person. I mean, you start growing fangs, and, you know, get out of my way. We got to get somewhere. You ever watch people that they're looking at red lights, it's like, <sighs> I know people get upset because one minute popcorn takes one minute instead of 50 seconds to cook in the microwave. We don't want to wait. But you know what the book says? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. You know why there's spiritual anemia in the church? Because we don't wait on the Lord. We don't tarry before God. 
We rush in, we rush out, rush out. We have our own opinions formulated. We have our own ideas. And so we just go right on ahead. We're like a bull in a china shop. And we get in trouble, don't we? God says, you're going to wait. You're going to wait. Now, we don't like to wait, as I said. And we want, we want to do stuff right now. And waiting is hard. Did you know that? Waiting is hard. But God says you've got to do that. Let, let, me, let me illustrate this. The church that I'm a pa- the pastor of, Jan and I have been there nearly 35 years, and may be 35 years. Uh, when we came there, I was 26 years old, had a beautiful black head of hair, and uh, I did. It's hard to believe, but I did. And we were young. Our oldest son uh, was uh, three years old. We came to church, had 32 people. And I never dreamed to be the pastor of the church. I thought I was going to be evangelist the rest of my life. And, and God's blessed the church. But let me, let me tell you what's next door to us. Next door to us is a bowling alley. And the bowling alley is connected. We have a drive, and people can drive through there, connected to our, our campus. And my pastor, who is now back in our church, he finally retired for the third time. And he and his wife are in our church, and he made, he's our pastor emeritus, made him pastor emeritus. Just wonderful man. And ladies and gentlemen, when I was at Evangelist Traveling, my pastor would tell me, he said, Dan, he said, we have got to have that property. We're landlocked. We're right there on the corner. We're landlocked. And, and now that little church that had 32 members has about 3,000 members. And, you know, we run out of room, we built buildings, and, and we're about to build another building, and the guy, first thing they tell us is, y'all ain't got any room, y'all landlocked. What you going to do with parking while you're building this building? Well, we, we, that bowling alley is next door to us. Now, we're talking about 20 years, folks. My pastor was telling me this. 20 years, over 20 years. And so, I sent five guys down to the bowling alley. I said, go down there and tell him we'd like to buy the bowling alley. The first thing we're going to do is we got, out of, we got out of debt and we got free until we could start giving. See, I believe churches ought to tithe. You know that? Churches ought to give. Listen, we never take up offer at our church. We receive it because it's an honor to give. And giving is an act of worship. Now, let me tell you what happened. We was concerned about this. Middle of the night, God wakes me up. This is about two years ago. Wakes me up, and God just as clear spoke to me, give him $800,000. That's what you're going to get this for, $800,000. So I sent these guys down there. I'm all excited. They go down, they talk to the guy, and each one of these men have different expertise in different areas, banking, finance, building, electrical, roof, contract, and all that stuff. And so they go down and talk to this guy and ask him about buying it. And the guy said, yeah, I'll sell it. I want $1.4 million. My administrator came back and said, preacher, we want to tell you something. He said, you're crazy. He said, you're crazy. He said, $600,000. We're off $600,000. And how in the world, I mean, w- pastor, we insulted the man. He said, what are you going to do now? I said, we're not going to do anything. What do you mean? God said $800,000. 
You're crazy. Just leave it alone. Did you know a year and a half later that, later, that guy called us back? He called us back and he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll sell it to you for $850,000. I'll finance it for three years, no interest. Well, they all got excited. Whoa, hallelujah. I mean, you just thought, my goodness, we just, they just having a spell. And then I go into the room and we sat down. I sat down with about 30 of those guys and uh, I said, guys, wonderful. Only one problem. We don't do debt. And it doesn't matter, interest or no interest, at the end of three years, we got to write him a check for $850,000. That's called debt. And another thing, God said $800,000. Now, I said, now, guys, I'm going to tell you something. I'll die on this hill. I got a word from God. I'm your pastor. Now, if you don't want to do this and you want to buy it and you want to borrow the money, that's fine. I'm not going to be mad at you. You don't be mad at me, but I ain't going to be your pastor because I can't do that. I know what God told me. Well, you're talking about sucking the air out of a room. Oh, they, they was all poochy-lipped. I mean, they were just all upset. I felt so bad for them. Well, I went on out and went on to, went on to do the service. And Chairman of the Deacons, he grew up with my oldest son, their best buddies. The cast said, Lucas, what's going on? He said, Pastor, we don't know what to do. He said, we're just going to pray. I said, that's a good thing, son. He said, well, I'll pray at 8 o'clock in the morning. Go meet tomorrow night at 6 in the student center, have dinner. And we're just all the guys. We're going to get together and pray. We don't know what to do. It's going to wait on the Lord. I said, good. Did you know, ladies and gentlemen, from the time we left that Sunday night to 30 minutes before that meeting that next night, and this was just among our leadership. This was not no published thing or nothing like that. Did you know that all of a sudden money just started pouring in? We had $387,000 designated for a student center. Folks that designated called and said, hey, you know what? That building's got 22,000 square feet. That'd be some kind of awesome student center. Said, just take that money. Said, man, let's use it if you want to buy it. And then money started coming in. 30 minutes before the meeting, my administrator came in. He said, Pastor, you're not going to believe this. Somebody just sent us $30,000. It just keeps coming in. When we got there, there wasn't much talking Call the guy, tell him we'll write him a check for $800,000. We now own the bowling alley. $800,000. Paid for it. God gave us the money. Paid for it. Now, double the size of our campus. All that parking we needed, we got $350,000 worth of asphalt there. We got about... 250, 300 parking places. Now, what happened? The, what, what happened, ladies and gentlemen, is with God, timing is more important than time. And what, what, what happens is we get out of the will of God because we get in a hurry. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is absolutely nothing. Do you understand that? You don't pull your radishes up by the roots to see how they're growing, then stick them back down in the ground and expect to harvest. It's not going to happen. So you've got to have a delay. Now, why did God do that? Number one, it was a time of observation. Say that with me. A time of observation. There it is. What did they do? God says, camp out. They camp out. They, they literally pitch camp 
beside the river. And let me tell you something. When they got up, they could hear the roar. When they went to bed, they heard the roar. They'd wake up in the middle of the night, they heard the roar. They'd go outside, they could see it, they could hear it. And all of their mind is thinking, how are we going to get across that? How are we going to get over there? See, sometimes God, because he loves you so much, will sit you down beside the greatest difficulty in your life. And God says, you're going to look at that. You've got to face it, and you've got to come to the place in your life where you realize it is totally impossible for you to do one thing about it. You know what we like to do, especially guys? We like to fix stuff. You know that? We, there's some folks, don't you listen to me, God can do anything because he's God. But there's some people you can't fix. Do you understand that? And there's some situations you can't fix. And don't let the devil steal your joy and your victory in your life of being who God has called you to be because there's somebody else in your life that acts like an idiot. You say, that's pretty plain. It is. Because it's the truth. There are people that are, have no joy in their life because there's somebody literally sucking the spiritual life out of them because they're not willing to say, God, I can't fix this. God, this is beyond me. And so, God, I give it to you. You know what my favorite verse in the Bible is? Psalm 46, 10. That verse says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I'm God. Do you know what that literally means in the Hebrew, be still? In the Hebrew language, it means this. Take your hands off. Take your hands off. I'm God. God doesn't need any help being God. Let me, let me get it on down. I think you folks were kind of reared up the way I, I was reared up. Not Dr. Spock, but Dr. Spank. You know what I'm talking about. But, but any of y'all ever have your mom and daddy do this to you? Sit down. I don't want to hear another word. Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I'm God. Amen? God said you're going to look at it. I want you to think about this. What is it in your life? What's your greatest obstacle right now? Think of it. What's your greatest problem right now? What, what's the greatest need of this church right now? Now, have you ever wondered why that's, that you're still dealing with that? Have you ever wondered why it's, you know, it just keeps coming back, it keeps coming back, and you, why? You still haven't crossed the river because that obstacle's there, but the reason you haven't overcome that is because you've never given it to God. Oh, you may say you have, but God says you face it, you observe it. You are in an impossible situation. Do you know that... An impossible situation is all the furniture Jesus needs for a miracle. That's all he needs, friend. But then look at the second thing. Not only was it a time of observation, it was a time of confrontation. Say that with me. A time of confrontation. 
Now, notice what Joshua does. He sends out two spies. How many did they send out when Joshua and Caleb went out? Anybody? Twelve. How many came back with a good report? Two. So that's all you need this trip, two. Amen? So he sends out two. What these guys do is they go over and they spy out the land. And what they did was once they crossed the Jordan, once these guys got over there and spied out the land, God showed them what they were up against. Remember, we march from victory to victory, from victory to victory. And let me tell you something. Yesterday's victory will not suffice for today's battles. You can't live on the way it used to be. You can't live on, boy, y'all remember when we used to do this? Y'all remember and all? You can't do that. Listen, we're headed to the sweet by and by, but we live in the nasty now and now. Amen? We live in a real ugly world. And we've got to deal with it, and the only way we can deal with it in victory is dealing with it through what the Scripture says, and there is confrontation. There's confrontation. We, I don't like confrontation. I'm a nice guy. But there comes a time that you have to stand, and you have to stand on this book. And folks, today we're living in a world, I was telling Pastor Shane yesterday, about or this morning about progressive Christianity. We're dealing with this in Mississippi. You know what progressive Christianity is? Well, Pastor, I know, but that book's antiquated. I know he's talking to them back there. Or, you know, that really doesn't resonate with me. Or, or you know, that, that really doesn't fit where I'm at. Well, then, you know what? If it doesn't fit where you are, you need to move. This is what God says. This, listen, folks, this book, is not suggestions. This book is the Word of God, and it is the, the lifeline of how we are to live as a believer. So he says confrontation. Do you know what they found over there? Jericho. Now, you would think that once they had to get across that river, that they did get across. Man had been wandering 40 years, eating manna, and now God gets them across the river, and what they got to do? They got to fight. There's Jericho. You see, as long as we're in this stuff right here called flesh, there's going to be war. There's going to be war. And so we have to understand that there's confrontation. What are you up against? But then the third thing, it was a time of separation. Separation. Now let me share with you a very interesting point. I'm teaching the book of Judges. We, we have just studied Joshua. We're going verse by verse. We've studied Psalms. It took us five years to go through Psalms. But we're in the book of Judges. And, and we're, we're talking about the difficulties in Judges really happened because they did not completely obey God once they got into the land. Remember this. Partial obedience is full-fledged disobedience. It's like being 99% saved. That means you're 100% lost. You see, obeying God is doing what God says, when God says it, where God says it, and how God says it. And if you leave any of those things out, then you've been disobedient. Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manassas. 
these folk were in the cattle business. And if you'll go back and you'll study, you'll find out that they had come to Moses. They had come to Moses and said, you know what? We like it here. It's a good place to raise our cows. And I tell you what, we really appreciate God doing this for us. But if you don't mind, could we stay over here on the west side of the Jordan? Could we stay, could we stay over here? Could we stay over here uh, at, at, on the east side of the Jordan? Could we stay over here? We don't want to go over. Now, what did God do? God said, okay. You see, God will not lead you where you don't want to go. And there's some churches, there are churches today that are dying because they're Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh because they're not willing to do what God says. And so they said, we don't, we don't want to do this. We, we don't want to. See, God lets you choose your own level of spiritual existence. And what happens here, they got more concerned about where to raise their cows than their kids. I mean, we think about, you know, we're like, remember Philip? Remember the loaves and the fishes? <laughs> Philip said, if we had, you know, 200 days of wages, it wouldn't buy everybody but just a little bit. See, he, you know, he had a mind like cash register. It's not a matter if you can you afford it. It's a matter of whether or not God's going to do it. What does God say? What does God say? And so they chose to stay on that side of the river. Now, listen to me. They did that. They did have to go across. Why? Everybody had to go across. Why? They had to go across because everybody gets saved the same way. Everybody moves the same way. Listen, folks, we are a body. We work together. And he said, you're going to go across just like your brothers. You're going to help them fight. And then if you want to come back over here, you can stay. And they did. But let me tell you something. They were the first tribes to be taken into captivity by the Assyrians years later. Why? Because they chose to live on the wrong side of the river. You see, that was not God's best. That was not the perfect will of God. That was the permissive will of God. And they chose that. And God said, if you want to stay there, you can stay there. But I'm telling you, it's going to cost you. And it did cost them, didn't it? So it was a new diet, a new delay, and then one more thing. And that was a new dedication. A new dedication. So God says, you're going to camp out beside this river and you're going to face that for three days. And you think it looks bad right now, you wait three days from now, you're going you're to be, be at the point where just, there's no hope. Then you're not going to build a bridge, you're going to start cooking to feed everybody. Y'all going to have a picnic. Y'all get to cooking, preparing food for everybody. Your diet's going to change. But then God says this, he said, now you sanctify yourself. What do you got to do? God says that you've got to consecrate, consecrate yourself. Do you know the last time these people heard that? The last time they had heard this was when Moses went up to the mountain on Mount Sinai to receive the law from God back in Exodus 19. 
Think about that. Years. They had not heard this. And what did he say? He says, consecrate yourself. That means to purify yourself. You know what God told him? He said, let me tell you what you need to do. You need to take a bath. You need to wash your clothes. You need to get ready to move. You got to put your traveling shoes on. Get your traveling clothes on. Consecrate yourself. Because I'm going to show you something that you've never seen. You see, folks, personal sanctification, holiness, that means we must be, we must be holy in our public lives, pure activities. The garments are seen by everybody. But we must be, must be pure in our private lives. Let me tell you what reputation is. Reputation is what people think about you. Character is what God knows about you. And I've told many young preachers, don't let your ministry go faster than your character. And just because somebody's successful does not mean they're spiritual. You understand that? You see, we've been so affected by the standards of the world and what the world sees and what the world thinks that we've gotten so far away from what the Scripture teaches us that we can be duped very easily. We get caught up in the glitter and the glamour and the pomp, the circumstance and all of that, and we miss God. We've got, we've got to be holy. He's saying that you have to consecrate yourself. You have to be holy in the most intimate part of your life. You know who knows you best? Those who live with you. Hmm? Yep. Now, let me ask you something. Sir, if you was put on trial for being saved and your wife had to testify, would you get convicted? Would she be able, truth before the throne of God, to say that man is just, he's just like he is on Monday, like he is sitting here on Sunday? He's the real deal. Would your kids tell you, my daddy loves Jesus? He doesn't talk about it, he lives it. Ladies, your husband had to say, my wife loves God. She's a believer. She's real. Or students, if your mom and dad had to, had to say, you know, yes, I see Jesus in them. My son, my daughter lives it. You see, folks, that, that, that's, that's what it's all about. This is where we are today. I want you to understand something. We're all about bigness, and I want to see everybody get saved. But the more I study this book, I see that God's coming for a clean bride, a clean church. And you know what I believe is happening? I believe God's cleaning the church up. I'm telling you. We're not going to see evangelism until we get we're right with God, until we ask God to forgive us for our attitudes, our actions. God, forgive us for what we have done. Until we get focused, it's just us and God instead of us thinking in the grandeur about everybody else that if so-and-so gets right, if so-and-so gets saved, then we've had a great week. No. The most important fact of this whole week is is God going to do anything in my life? 
What's going on with me? How, Lord, how, how, how am I doing with you? How are you and Jesus getting along? What's happening? You see, I believe God brings us to a place where he says, the only way that you're going to have my power and my presence on your life, the only way you're going to practically have in your life my provision is when you just sit down and give it all to me. When you rest in me. And it doesn't matter what obstacle, what situation, what enemy, whatever it is, God, I can't handle this. I can't, but you can. I won't, but you will. I'm not able, but you are. You see, God's only going to give to you what you're prepared to receive. And if you're not willing to obey God, if you're not willing to stand when everybody else thinks you've lost your mind, when everybody else thinks it's crazy, if you know what God says, you stand on this book, I'm telling you, God's always going to show up and God's going to do what He says. You can trust the Lord. Let's stand our feet, bow our heads and close our eyes. The field's going to come. Pastor, staff's going to come. Our company's going to come. And we're going to have an invitation. And this is the invitation tonight. What do you want God to do in your life? What needs to be done in your life? What is it that you're dealing with that it just keeps going on and on? You've got to nail the nail in the ground. And you've got to settle it. For some of you, it means you need to be saved. You need to know that you know you're going to heaven. If you don't know that, you need to come tonight and settle it. What's somebody going to say? That's the problem. That we're more concerned about what people think than what God knows. You come. There's somebody, you went home today, and God's dealt with you all day about this baptism issue. You need a believer's baptism. You need to come. Then there's somebody here tonight need to come and get in this altar and pray and say, God, I give this to you. I take my hands off of it. I'm not taking it back to my seat with me, God. Leave it with you. And God, I, I need for you. You know what needs to be done in my life. God, I want you to do that for me this week. Lord, when we get through with this, this meeting, God, I want to be different. I want to be changed. Would you obey the Lord tonight? Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've taught us. God, there's somebody here tonight that's struggling. God, they've got a mountain in their life. They've got a Jordan in their life, Lord. And God, they realize they cannot cross it unless you make a way. So God, we lay all this before you. Would you, would you help us tonight? God, we are needy people. God, I'm, I'm a needy man. We need you, God. Lord, we don't want this just to be a series of Bible studies. And God, we need you, Lord. I, I don't know what Maysville needs, God, but you do. This is your church, your people. God, you know the need that needs to be met. There's somebody here discouraged. Somebody that's felt like quitting. God, would you help them tonight?
Would you send someone to them, God, that will be a Barnabas? Will you send someone that will give them a cup of cold water? In the name of Jesus. God, draw your net now. Save the lost. God, would you do a work in the saved in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing, altars open. Would you come?